last uh, Sunday when Pastor Roberta was ministering and she was talking about the people that came and were talking about the expansion for the property with the building. And there was a couple that mentioned and asked her the question, you know, how through all the pandemic did the attendance not go down, but actually it stayed the same and increased. And Pastor Roberta's response was because we preach the full gospel, that we believe it, not only preach it, but we believe it. And I remember one Wednesday night when Craig was sharing that he was at a church and they really didn't believe um, in the full gospel. And I believe Ron said, um, there's more. And that's what brought him here at a Great Commission Church. <laughs> yeah, and and so that question, I want to use that as a springboard to go over some things. Because the foundation is being in Christ. Knowing who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what we can do through Christ. And in Romans chapter 15, um, it's verse 19. Let's, let's back up a verse, verse 18. For I will not, this is Paul speaking, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. And by the way, I have the King James. I, just, I grew up with that. My mentors, the scriptures that I've memorized, it's been from the King James. So I'm not trying to offend anybody, but that's just what I feel comfortable with. Verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ really means the anointed one and his anointing. In the Old Testament, it was Messiah, and the New Testament was the Christ. And we're going to get into some things of why that is so critical for us as believers, knowing what the Christ means. And Paul had a revelation. He was basically caught up to the third heaven. And he had a revelation of, he called it a mystery. If you read through Ephesians, particularly chapter 3, he talked about that it was not revealed until he had it. And that mystery was Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that glory is manifesting the kingdom of God. When Jesus came on the earth, he didn't come to fix a broken system of religion. He came to introduce a new government. And that government was the kingdom of God. And when he was on earth, he said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he said, don't look here, don't look here. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, there's different aspects of the kingdom. It's going to manifest in its fullness, you know, through the millennium and then the new heaven and new earth. But he expects us to manifest that kingdom wherever we go. Wherever we go. And so that real question with 
the lady that was talking to Pastor Roberta, why did your church not decrease? Why did it grow? The real question is, why not? And I believe, why not? And why the church was basically deemed non-essential through that whole thing is the church has lost its identity. And when you don't have an identity, you can't receive your inheritance. So our inheritance is going to be received in proportion to our new identity. And Psalms 11.3, some scriptures we're going to go to, some I'm just going to, you know, just quote. It says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And basically, they're in trouble. So we know what a foundation is, you know, with a building or a house, that everything that's built above that is dependent upon a good foundation. And so as the body of Christ manifesting the kingdom, we have to have the foundation of who we are in Christ. And we'll manifest it. And Marshalltown can be changed with the glory of God, but it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to take a renewing of the mind. <clears throat> now, truth is the highest form of reality. What I mean by that, there are facts, there are circumstances that appear like they're real, but truth is the highest form of, re of reality. And the truth of God's kingdom from heaven when it invades earth, it, it will change everything. But we have to believe that. So when I say it's the highest form of reality above facts or circumstances, a fact may be there may be sickness in your body. There may be pain. Um, you look at your bank account and it's there's more month than finances. But the truth is, by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. That we are abundantly supplied. That the blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. And that's painful toil. So that doesn't mean we don't work, but we work out our potential. So God designed us not just to have work just to get a paycheck. We're supposed to have a job so that we can work out our potential and be a blessing. Because um, God, he never starts until he's finished. And Isaiah 46.10, it says, declaring the end from the beginning. And he says, I will perform all my good pleasure. So Jesus was slain what before the foundation of the world. So every need that we have here on this earth, it's already been provided for. You know, whether it's was there a healing, whether it's protection, whether it's provision. And so, so often we're praying for things that God has already provided for. And it comes from ignorance. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But it also says, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And that knowledge is revelation knowledge. Because whoever has revelation is going to take over. Because when Jesus came, he didn't, he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And what I mean by that, you don't go up to somebody and say, my name is Jimmy, I'll take all you give me. That's, that's not what I'm talking about when he came to take over. You remember when Joshua, you know, they were going through the promised land. They were going to take over. You know, they just had conquered Jericho. And I don't know if you recall that there was an angel of the Lord that appeared to him. And 
and Joshua, you know, they're going to go to battle. And Joshua says, are you for us? Are you for our adversaries, our enemies? And he said, neither. He said, basically, I'm here to do the truth. I mean, it's, it's the truth that is the highest form of reality. Um, God doesn't, he's not about taking sides. He's about performing his plan, his purposes. And so that's why I want to get into this reality of in Christ and what that means. And we basically have a benefit benefit package that few people are aware of or it's so great that people can't put their mind around it. I mean, it's so great. I mean, in Romans 8.32, it said, God did not spare his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. Um, and how much more shall he freely give us all things? Freely given. Jesus paid the price. So when it says, like, he bore our sicknesses, he took our infirmities, he bore them so that we don't have to bear them. I've heard of a country where people would, would commit a crime. I don't know if it still goes on, but it might be just in the past where people would commit a crime and another person would could bear the punishment for them so they wouldn't have to suffer the, the penalty. So they they would bear that upon themselves. And so when you think about that with Jesus, what he did on the cross, so much more than just forgiveness of our sins, he bore he bore our sicknesses. He bore all that sickness, all that pain upon himself. And so going back to the analogy, let's say if that applied here to America, if let's say Dennis committed a crime and I would say, and he was going to be in serious trouble. I mean, maybe prison for life, let's say, or execution. But I say, that's all right, because the law says, if I take the punishment, you don't have to bear that. But let's say I bore that, and he didn't receive it. I mean, that would that'd be an insult. And the same with Jesus. He bore those things, so we don't have to bear them. And people just need to realize that. <clears throat> I'm going to read a few things just to lay a kind of a platform here. So in our, our inheritance in Christ comes in direct proportion to our identity in Christ. We attract who we are and not what we want. Because God really doesn't respond to just want and need. Because if that was the case, there would be no sickness, there would be no problems, you know, there'd be no lack. But he responds to truth. And, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. So he responds, he's a respecter of faith. He's not a respecter of persons, he's a respecter of faith. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It doesn't say that it came by having heard. So we have to continually renew our minds. And so again, we attract who we are and not what we want. For the most part, when it comes to the church's influence on the world, it's been a case of the blind leading the blind. And a lot of, in a lot of cases, the world is doing the leading. And that's changing. 
I mean, that's a bold statement out on, this, on that sign that says, a new day, a new nation. I mean, things are, are changing. And, but unfortunately, the world is doing a lot of the leading, even when it comes to the church, and that's because of a lack of identity in what we have in Christ. So it's the church's responsibility to do the leading and show the world the superiority of the kingdom of God over this broken-down world system controlled by Satan. Albert Einstein had a quote, and this may not be word for word, but it's pretty much the gist of what I'm saying, is that you can't solve level one problems with level one solutions. It's going to take level two solutions to solve level one problems. And in Romans 8.19, let's go there since we're already in Romans 15. Let's go back to Romans 8 and verse 19. Give you a minute to get there. Verse 19, it says, For the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I know this will be in fulfillment with the millennium when Jesus is actually reigning here on earth again. But he expects us to manifest where we're at. And all creation is crying out, groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. Prior to moving here to Marshalltown, when we were in Ankeny, I remember watching these transformation videos. Remember that, Corey? And in these videos, there was communities that things weren't going well, that there was a lot of poverty, a lot of lack. And it was even affecting the vegetation. It was affecting um, you know, plants growing, vegetables growing. Things were just not right. And in these transformation videos, revival hit, and most often it was as a result of repentance. The people started repenting one to another. They repented to God um, because of you know things just weren't right. And in these transfer transformation videos, you know after the fact when things were changing and and they repented, I mean these vegetables. I mean they're just enormous. It affected the vegetation based on revival that came into the people's hearts, came into their soul, and it was affecting nature. And we just saw this verse here, that for the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And as we as a body start to see God's glory, and we're transformed from faith to faith and from glory to glory, because we know who we are in Christ, we know the love the Father has for us, things will change in this area. Praise, praise the Lord. It, it will happen. <clears throat> and so right now, a lot of times I'll hear you know, people say that God is in control. Well, if he's in control, he's got a lot of things in a mess. I mean, but he's really not in control. Um, Jesus is the head of the church, and we are the body. We are the body of the Christ. And so God is in charge of the church, but the church should be in charge of this earth because it takes man to have authority on this earth. 
God just can't come in and do whatever He wants to do. He has to work through man. Because Adam turned that authority over to Satan back in the garden. And so if God wants to do anything on this earth, He has to come through a willing person to do His will. And so when, when Jesus was on the earth, a lot of times He referred to the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And when He would cast out demons, they would say, what are you doing? I know you, you are the Son of God. You can't. And basically what they were saying, is they knew that as a Son of God, He could not do this. They said, have you come to torture us before the time? Because they know a time is coming that they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. But he was not just the Son of God. He was, he was a man. He, he set his God um, attributes aside. And the Bible says that he was anointed of God. He went about doing good and, and healing everyone. He was anointed by the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Christ with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good in healing all those that are oppressed of the devil. But he did not do that as God, and that's what we need to understand. He didn't do it as God. He did it as man anointed of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that he did that was to give us an example that we can do the, the same thing. Because the Bible is very clear in verse John 2.20 that we have an anointing from him. And he said, the works that I do, you can do also and greater works than these. And he expects us to. He expects us to. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And this is very interesting with Peter, the revelation that he got. And... We're going to start at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So there we see the Son of Man. He didn't say Son of God, the Son of Man. And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he's not saying that, Peter, you're the rock. He's saying... This rock is this revelation that just came out of your mouth. You're, you're, the, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. He's the anointed one that came to destroy all the works of the enemy. In 1 John 3.8. In verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, Peter and everybody that reads this, everybody that's in Christ, what you allow, God will allow. What you don't allow will not be. So we have the authority in His name to bind and loose 
and is based on this revelation that Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. And we are in Christ and we have that same anointing. And we have authority because we are people on this earth. God, like I said, God can't come in and just do things. A lot of times people are expecting on God to do something and he's waiting on us. When Jesus came, I mean, he didn't talk a whole lot about going to heaven. His main emphasis was bringing heaven to earth. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. In the book of Acts, after Jesus rose from the dead, he was on earth for 40 days talking to his disciples around him. And it says that he talked about the kingdom of God. That's We need revelation of the kingdom of God. And like I said, he didn't come to fix a broken system of religion. He came to introduce a new government. This government is upon his shoulders. And it's an ever-increasing kingdom. He expects us to advance and hold. Advance and hold. And then Peter, and then the Apostle Paul, the end of Acts, what he was, it says that he was in his own hired house. It's one of the last verses in the book of Acts. He was in his own hired house. People came to him. There were no restrictions. He was bound, but people would come to him, and it said he, he spoke of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Let's go over to John. So we just read this this revelation that Peter really got. It wasn't something that came out of his whole mind. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we go over to John chapter 6. And to kind of give you a backdrop of this passage that we're going to look in at, Prior to that, Jesus was talking to all these people and he said, you need to eat my flesh, you need to drink my blood, or you're not going to have any part with me. And a lot of people thought, you know, this guy's nuts. I mean, this, you know, how can we do that? This guy's basically gone off the deep end. Uh, And let's go to verse 63. Jesus is saying, it is a spirit that quickens or makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that would believe not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And it's verse 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They just they couldn't handle what he was saying. And then verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Have I not chosen you twelve, but one of you is a devil? So in verse 69. He says, we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So if you remember back in Matthew, we read Jesus, or Matthew said those similar words, and Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And upon this rock, upon this revelation, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell 
they will not prevail. So Peter had that revelation, and that's why I believe when everybody else started walking away from Jesus and said, you know what, what you're saying, it's just too far out there. I can't really believe that. But Peter had that revelation, you you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And so that, going back, you know, to that question with Pastor Roberto, you know, why is your your church still thriving? Why is it not decreasing? It's going to take that foundation of knowing that this is the rock that Jesus has built his church upon, and the gates of hell will not. It doesn't matter pandemic. It doesn't matter what persecution. It doesn't matter what people call us. The gates of hell, they, they can't stop the church from moving forward when they know who they are in Christ. When we have the right identity, and then I'm going to get in in a few minutes of you know, what some of this benefit package is and the authority that we have. Um, it, it can't stop. So when we want to increase in the things of God, you know, whatever it is, whatever, because when Jesus says you, you need to eat my body and drink my blood, basically he's saying when, when I speak words and there's spirit and life, you have to believe them. You have to take them in because what you believe, you become one with. What you believe, you become one with. And so whenever you want to increase in things of God, whether it's, you know, you know that God is calling you to do something, you're believing for healing, you're believing for financial breakthrough, whatever, it always comes by a seed. And the Bible says that the Word of God is the seed. And so we have to take that in. And these are four things that I, I just jotted down. It takes you got first number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna read the four and then we'll go back and go more in detail with each one. The first one is take take heed what you hear. The second one is take heed how we hear. So we have to first we have to take heed what we hear, then we have to take heed how we hear. Number three, we have to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. And number four, there's going to be, we have to resist hindrances to that growth. So let's go back to the first one. Take heed what you hear. With this Bible, everything is truly stated, but not everything is a statement of truth. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before. Because some things written in the Word were written by backsliders. Especially like in Ecclesiastes, you read of Solomon, King of Solomon, he was saying all his vanity, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he was in a backslidden state. And then Job, he said, you know, the Lord takes away, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. That's, that's not, it's truly stated in the Bible, but it's not a statement of truth. Every, pre, every good and precious gift is from our Father. He doesn't take, you know, you used to hear some preachers at a funeral, there's like a child that, you know, died at, let's say, eight years old, and the, and the minister gets up there at the funeral and says, well, the Lord was just lonely and just took this child up like a little flower. You know, and it's because of these things that people are, are turning against God. So, like, they'll hear this, like, 
Job, the Lord takes, the Lord, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Well, if you keep reading on, it was fear that got Job in that problem. He said, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. And then later on he says, Lord, teach me how to control my tongue. And then at the end, God gave him twice for what he lost. So everything in the Bible is truly stated. Some of, some of these things that are not statements of truth are written in there so that we can learn. That we can learn from people's mistakes so we don't do the same thing. And, it take, and, the, and the Bible says that we're supposed to rightly divide the Bible. We're supposed to write. So if, if he's telling us we have to rightly divide, then there must be an opportunity to wrongly divide, or he wouldn't warn us. And it says, Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It doesn't say inspired by God. God didn't inspire people some of these things. It's inspiration by God. Surely they said it. But like I said, they said it, God allowed it so that we can learn from their mistakes so we don't make the same mistakes. So we have to take heed what we hear when it comes to the Bible. When, when Corey and I first got married, I was had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I had gone to this um, crusade, and this gentleman had a book, and I read it before, I think I've shared this, a couple of years ago. Um, it's called Good Morning Holy Spirit. And it's by Benny Hinn. And I recommend it's a good read. But I was in transition between I had just finished college and I was waiting um, from my board because each with chiropractic, each state you have to pass the board. So I graduated and I was staying with my, my parents and, and my mom said, you know, we lived... This was in northern Iowa, and there was going to be a crusade by Benny Hinn um, coming up. And, and she gave me this book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit, and it was talking about Benny Hinn. And he had gone to a lot of crusades with Catherine Kuhlman. And just miracles would, would just pop up everywhere. I mean, people's bones pop, pop, pop. I mean, they're crippled like this, pop, pop, pop. I mean, Benny Hinn is sitting by these people at these crusades, and Catherine Kuhlman, this white Floyd gown, she would just be worshipped. A lot of it was worship, worship. And the presence of God would hit the place in miracles. And people would be screaming, bones would be popping. And Benny Hinn, I mean, it changed his life. And he would go home, because he would travel quite a ways to these crusades, and his parents were not saved. I mean, it was like Orthodox Jews, and they were, it was, they lived in Israel. And so they didn't want to hear about Jesus. So he would go to these crusades. He'd come home. He'd go to his room, and he would just be in the room all day. He'd wake up and say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. That's where the book came from. And the Holy Spirit's presence would just fill the room. And all day long, he'd walk out into the hallway. His brother would be slammed up against the wall because of the presence of God. friend would come, pick him up. Benny Hamm would get in the car the guy would just start weeping. And so this was kind of what launched Benny Hinn's ministry was being in the environment of Catherine Coleman. So I'm reading this book, and it's just building faith in me. It's just creating a hunger, you know, for the presence of God. And, and at that time, um, I really didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I never lifted my hands in worship. 
um, as part of those frozen chosen or chosen frozen whatever. And so I got to this crusade, and the expectant the expectancy was was really high. I mean, you when you go to these crusades, this was back in the '90s. I mean, you had to get there six, seven hours before just to get in in there. And you go in there, and there's wheelchairs, people. A big section on the floor. People are in wheelchairs, and just a lot of worship. And they started. That's why I sang "How Great Thou Art" when we started, because this choir they go through these songs, and then they end up in "How Great Thou Art." And I, I have my eyes closed. I'm just weeping. You know, I'm I'm laughing. I'm crying. I I can't I can't move. I'm like stuck in cement. I never lift. You know, it was like something just lifted my hands up. And then all of us, they sang through How Great Thou Art one time. And I had my eyes closed, and I'm like, I'm crying. And then this Israeli voice, just like booming, How Great Thou Art. And I mean, the place was just like electric. And I opened my eyes, and there was Benny Hinn. And it changed my life. Um, I didn't start speaking in tongues until about maybe four months later, but the Holy Spirit rocked my world. Uh, it was before we got married, and I was living in an apartment, and I would just, I would work. I was working for another chiropractor. I'd go home, and I would just turn on tapes from these crusades, and just all again, the presence, weeping. And one night I was sick and laying on my bed, and, and I just said, God, would you, would you heal me? And all of a sudden, things just cleared up, and this language came out. I mean, it's like, wow. Well, anyway, so this happened, and it was very personal for me. And then we got married, and Corey had not had that experience. But I'm kind of a long explanation as far as taking what, taking heed what you hear. Because when we got married, we were at a church, and there was a mentor for Corey. And, and she said, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for everybody. You know, speaking in tongues isn't for everybody. And she said, my husband, he's a godly man, and we've been praying for him for, I don't know, over 10 years, 20 years. And this had, and so it's just not for everybody. And I got upset. I was really upset. And, well, Corey, she ended that, yeah. And, and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. So it is for everybody. And it's not a denominational thing. It's not a doctrinal thing. It's... It's a free gift. Amen. And it's something that you have to receive and you have to believe. So you have to take heed what you hear because some people, yeah, it can be twisted. Um, so thoughts come from three sources. Thoughts come from teaching, associations, and observations. And thoughts are going to dictate comes out of our mouth, it's going to come, it's going to equate to our actions. So again, it comes from teaching, it comes from associations. The Bible talks about corrupt communication can affect your behavior. I mean, so you have to, you know, guard, you know, who you just fellowship with. I mean, you can influence people, but who you have fellowship with. And then observations, I mean, things that we observe growing up. And so it's, it's teaching, association, and observations. So the second thing is take heed how we hear. And that's the right attitude. Um, as far as 
the Bible says that we're supposed to renew our minds, but then we're, we're supposed to be renewing the spirit of our mind in Ephesians chapter 4. And so you have to have the right attitude. Because there's basically two types of people. There's believers, and then there's unbelievers. Because there's really not a case of non-belief. I mean, sometimes people haven't heard, but what I'm talking about specifically now is people that have heard. And so they're either going to believe what God says, or they're not. I mean, those are basically the two types of people. And so you have to have the right attitude. And, and true humility is receiving what God says, believe it, and act upon it. I mean, that's humility. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's what true humility. And a person can go in the ditch either way. Like false humility is, oh, I, you know, I can't do that. I'm, I'm just a worm. You know, and they think that that's all holy and religious, but really it's false humility, and God doesn't like that. But then there's pride that says, oh, I can do anything without, you know, God's help. And so humility is basically saying, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, and I'm going to the next thing is be a doer of the word. And then the last one, resisting hindrances to growth. And there's this parable in Mark chapter 4, and Jesus was talking about the seed being the Word of God, that our heart is the soil. And the Word of God is incorruptible. It says, being born, of, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So the, the, the seed will always produce, but the heart is the soil. So you have an incorruptible seed that cannot fail. You put it in good soil, and Jesus said it's going to produce 30, 60, 100-fold, whatever you put in there, it, it, just like a farmer. I mean, it's going to grow. Up. And But he said what can hinder that, and he used a different analogies of like thorny ground and like a rocky ground, and then some that goes by the wayside that, the birds come and they eat it up. But he said, those in a good and honest heart will bring forth fruit with patience. <clears throat> and patience is not like sitting by the dock of a bay waiting for time to go away. It's not. It's more of patience is, is resisting. It's like things that hold up a bridge. So... Patience helps us in our faith because as the Word of God comes in in a good heart, it's going to build faith. And faith is a victory that's overcome the world. But patience is, is a spiritual force to help with that faith. Uh, in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the full armor of God, it says, when you have done all to stand, you stand. And that's what patience is. And it's a force so Jesus says this, this fruit out of a good heart is going to come forth with patience. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Because one thing about the enemy, I don't like to talk about it too much, but he's persistent. And he likes to stir up the environment. He likes to... Um, he works in the sense realm. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, it says... 
We don't look at those things that are seen for those things that are not seen. For those things that are seen are temporal. For the things that are not seen are eternal. So when he's talking about the things that are not seen and temporal, or when he's talking about things that are seen that are temporal, it really means they're subject to change. We can speak to it. You know, a lot of times people, when they talk about a mountain in their life, well, I'm going through, or I'm going around the mountain. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to speak to the mountain. We're supposed to speak to it. We have that authority to speak to it. You know, sometimes you talk to people, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm going through. Well, I mean, well, don't go through too long because the enemy can wreak havoc. Because I heard one time when Paul was talking about afflictions being light and momentarily, these afflictions that he went through. And, and I heard somebody talk about when they went up to heaven, they talked to Paul, and I'm not saying we based our theology about that, but he said these, these afflictions should not be long-term. They don't have to be long and drawn out. I mean, you look at the, the Israelites in the wilderness, I mean, they, the whole generation, I mean, just wiped out. And they just had to believe. They had to believe in the promise. With that promised land, when, when Moses sent out those, you can read it in Numbers 13, when Moses sent out those 12 spies to go um, search out that promised land, there were giants in the land. It was true. But God had said, I, I give you this land. I, I've already given. Like I said, God doesn't start until he's finished. He told Joshua, "All every place that your foot is going to tread upon, I've already given it to you. So in God's eyes, it's it's a done deal. And and so there were giants in this promised land. And, and every promise that you want to step into, there's going to be giants. It's not going to be giants in the natural, but it's, it could be fear. It could be doubt. It could be unbelief. It could be condemnation. Things in the past. Because these things will stop your faith. And faith is the only thing that will get us into our inheritance, will get us into doing what God has called us to do with is faith. So the enemy will bring giants. And so going back to the wilderness... He sent out these leaders of Israel. There are 12. You know, there are 12 tribes. So he sent out 12 leaders. Ten came back with an evil report. He said, yeah, the land is, it looks good. I mean, we saw these grapes. They look like grapefruit. I mean, they're, they're carrying it. It looks, it looks great. But there's one thing. I mean, these cities, are, they got walls all around them. We saw these giants in there. And the Bible says they came back to Moses and told this whole congregation, we, we can't do it. We can't do it. And if you read through Numbers 13 going into 14, it said the people wept all night. Because of 10, ten people, there was, a, I don't know, millions of people, they wept all night and they didn't go into the promised land except for two people, Joshua and Caleb. And the Bible said that they had a different spirit. They had a spirit of faith. And then God used Joshua. When Moses died, Joshua took him in to that promised land. So we take heed what we hear. We take heed how we hear. We're a doer of the word, 
And then we have to resist these hindrances. Going back to the hindrances, it's the cares of this world. It's the deceitfulness of riches. The lust for other things. Persecutions and afflictions. Afflictions will come. Persecutions will come for the word's sake. Jesus said it. When you are standing on a promise, when you're standing on the word, afflictions, persecutions will come. But Jesus said, take good cheer. I've overcome the world. And like I said, the enemy, he works in the sense realm. And this goes back to our identity. The enemy is always coming after people's identity. And it started in the garden. Before Adam and Eve fell, the enemy came in and and asked Eve, did God really say this? That if you eat of this fruit, that you'll die? You surely won't die. And then he came back and the enemy, the serpent, said, he knows that you'll be like him. Well, the truth was, is they had everything they needed and they were basically like God. And, and the enemy is always trying to tell people they're lacking something. They're deficient. And he, he doesn't change his tactics. He, it comes through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, because he's trying to convince people that God is withholding something, that the world has something better to offer, Well, we saw through the pandemic what happened to most churches thinking that. It's it's a lie. And so when Adam and Eve fell, the Lord came and said, Adam, where are you? And he wasn't talking about his location. He was talking about his position. Adam, where are you? He fell from faith to fear. He He fell from just revelation knowledge downloading into his spirit to, he felt, to being dictated by his senses. Everything that he saw, that was reality to him. And that's what the enemy does now. But like I said, truth is the highest form of reality, above facts, above the circumstances. I mean, Adam... Animals came to him, he just named them. Boom, 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 boom. He was getting downloaded. It was revelation knowledge. When Adam fell, he lost fellowship, he lost provision, and he lost assignment. He lost those three things. Fellowship with God and identity. He lost provision, so he had to basically toil for it. And he lost his assignment. He got kicked out of the the garden. He was supposed to take that garden to every place of the earth. And he lost those things. And when I was in, in chiropractic, there was a seminar, and they talked about a be-do-have principle. Or, yeah, be-do-have. It's like a pyramid. Be is like who you are. And then do, and then have. And a lot of people try to get their identity by doing stuff or having things and they like flip it upside down. So rather than the identity, it's the do and the have, they're trying to create that as being the be. But it's be, do, have. It's getting that identity of who we are in Christ, and then this inheritance will come. And and with with being in Christ, I call it the ABCs. There's 
ability, our benefit package, and there's a code of conduct of being in Christ. So ability is basically grace. It's God's ability. Let's go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Everybody doing all right? All right. I know this is more of a teaching, more of an exhorting, um, but in order to stand, you have to understand. That, that's just a principle, and that's why there are teachers in the body of Christ, there's preachers, prophets. We, we need it all to grow. Romans 5, verse 17. And I um, want to go here, verse 17. For if by one man's offense... Death reigned by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. In the Amplified, I believe, when it says reign in life, it's reign as kings in life. As you go over to verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness. So that righteousness is something that is vital when it comes to increasing our faith. A lot of times people are trying to increase their faith when they need to be working on their sense of righteousness. And I'm going to read a definition here. Um, of righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of the Father God and in the presence of Satan and all the works of darkness without a sense of guilt or a sense of condemnation, without a sense of inferiority as though sin had never existed. That's righteousness. And we know that we've been made righteous and the enemy will come against that. Because grace, God's ability, will come through that sense of righteousness. And the Bible says, how can two walk together except they be in agreement? You'll find that in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. How can two walk together except they be in agreement? A lot of times people think that on a horizontal level. You know, how can Dennis and I or Craig and I, how can we be in agreement Or how can we have fellowship or walk together unless we're being in agreement? And there's truth to that. But the same is with our relationship with Father God. Um, The thoughts of the righteous are right, it says in Proverbs 12.5. When Paul was talking about getting married, he said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He says, what fellowship can righteousness have with unrighteousness? And you can't. And the same with God. He can only get through us and to us to the extent that we believe. And it's very hard to receive from God when you feel inferior, when you feel condemned, when you feel guilty. It's, it's impossible. So we have to be in agreement. We have to agree. That's humility. We have to be in agreement that we are righteous and it's like we've never sinned. As long as we confess it, it's like we've never sinned. And then He can get these things to us. That grace can come. That ability can come. 
So the ability, God's grace comes through this righteousness, and there's other things with righteousness. He says the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, and sometimes people are timid going to God. They'll say, well, that's just my personality. That's just the way I am. No, it's not. It's not. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in, in time of need. And when I have found the bolder I get, the easier it is to hear the voice of the Lord. It's, all, it's hard when, when there's timidity, when there's fear, when there's condemnation. I mean, because how can two be together? How can they agree when there's not... How, or how can you have fellowship if you're not in agreement? And so there has to be that sense of righteousness. And so the righteousness, the Bible says in Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. And he expects us to come boldly to the throne of grace. <clears throat> Another thing is, is it'll bring protection. It says no weapon in Isaiah 54.17, it says no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you will condemn. For this is a righteousness of those, let's, let's turn that, turn there, Isaiah 54, 17, because when you know you're righteous, it's going to bring protection. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that rises up against thee in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. If you go, if you go back a, a few verses in verse 14, it says, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. So it brings protection. It, it just drives out fear. When there's no guilt, when there's no shame, when there's no inferiority, when you know that you're right with God, there's, there is no fear. There's protection. And then there's peace. As you, as you go back to Isaiah 32, 17, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. Another thing is grace. We talked about that in faith. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. So one of the things, you know, with this in Christ and this new identity is the righteousness. But then also the scripture says that we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8, verse 16 and 17, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children that heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be 
glorified together. So part of the benefit package in Christ, everything that is His is ours. In Acts chapter 17, it says we are the offspring of God. So a dog is going to what? Produce a dog, a cat, a cat. So we are the offspring of God. So God does not have sickness. He does not have lack. He does not have fear. He does not have hatred. So we are His offspring. And so everything that He has, we have. We are, we're joint heirs with Christ. We're heirs of God. If you remember in the prodigal son, there were two sons. One was the younger and he took all this stuff and he wasted it. But then there was a son that stayed behind and he wasn't too happy about it when he came back home, wasted everything that he had. And he came back home and the father said, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Let's, let's throw a party. Well, the older son was not too thrilled about it. You guys remember that? Yeah, and he was angry. And the father had to go out and meet him. And and he said, this, this son of yours, what are you doing? This son of yours, he went out and wasted everything with harlots. And now you've thrown a party and you've never given me just anything that I, like a small calf that I can just have a party with my friends. And he looked at him and he said, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. And so that's what it means here in Romans 8, that we're joint heirs with Christ, that we're heirs of God. Everything that He has, we have. So, I mean, when people you know, pray for the sick and they say, Lord, if it be Your will, let Him be healed. Well, God doesn't have sickness to give. I mean, it would be impossible for His will for that person to be sick or in lack or in lack, or in torment of any kind. I mean, the dividing scripture, dividing line in Scripture is John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we are joint, we're joint heirs. We're heirs of God. So we, I said the ABCs of being in Christ. We have His ability that benefit package, basically, we have that righteousness so we can come boldly and we can speak to things and they can change. We've had, we have that authority expects us to use that. We have health. We have His wisdom. We have His protection. We have prosperity. But then there is a code of conduct that He expects us to live by. Grace, there's not, there's not really sloppy grace. Grace is basically doing what truth demands. You know, it, is, it puts us on a higher responsibility, grace does. In the law, it says, if you commit adultery, kill them. But Jesus came and said, even if you look at somebody lust after him, it's like you've ever already done it. And same in the Old Testament, if you kill, if you kill somebody, it's an eye for an eye. And, and Jesus said, if, even if you hate somebody, Without cause, it's like murder. So grace puts us at a higher standard than the law. It does. So it's not something that's just sloppy grace. So in Christ, it has a code of conduct. It, we have His ability. We have these benefit package. 
But then we have a code of conduct. And if we go over to Colossians chapter 4, or actually 3, let's start at 3. And, And starting at verse 12, it says, you know, put on therefore as elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And then verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And then as you go down, it talks about how the family is supposed to operate talks about the wives. You're supposed to submit to your husbands. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives and not be bitter against them. Children, you're supposed to obey your your parents. Fathers, it says, provoke not your children to anger. In verse 22, it says, servants, obey in all things your masters. So that would be employer and employee. You know, you're supposed to, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. In verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, but not unto men. In verse 24, this is the reason that I'm bringing this up. Knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I talked about in Christ we have an inheritance. It's a very good inheritance. It's all that pertains to life and godliness. Everything you ever want or need is in Christ, is in this word, but there is a code of conduct. And I just read in Colossians chapter 3, we'll give you that, and it says, verse 24, knowing of the Lord, you will receive the reward of your inheritance. God is a covenant God. He comes and makes covenant with us saying, this is what I have to offer, and this is what I want of you. Now, in the Old Testament, they had a bunch of things that they could really fulfill, but basically in the New Testament, it's love one another, love God, and, and believe Him. And the way that we love Him is, we just read this in Colossians chapter 3. And then we will receive the reward of the inheritance. He's not a man that He would lie. He's never going to break his covenant. You know, that's why you hear some people like, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? And it's never on his end. It's either our disobedience or it's the enemy that's trying to resist. And like I said, he's persistent. But that's where patience comes in. Through faith and patience in Hebrews 6.11, we'll inherit. We will inherit the promises. If we believe, we walk in love, we have, and we resist the enemy. It says resist steadfast in the faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God, just like money is a currency in our natural realm. Faith is a currency. And some people say, well... You know, I confess something wrong. It seems like it just happens there, and I'll confess the promises, and it just takes long, long, long time. Well, that's because 
is determined by how much developed you are in faith compared to fear. So if you're highly developed in fear, then you know what you speak, if, if it's speaking fear, doubt, unbelief, a lot of times it will manifest quicker because that's what a person is more highly developed in. But as the more we get developed in faith, and like I said, it comes by hearing the Word and believing it. The Bible says it works effectively in those that believe. Going back to the garden when the enemy came to Eve and tempted her and, and they fell, when Jesus was in the wilderness, let's go to Luke chapter 4. He came to Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness without food for 40 days. And the enemy came in with temptations, basically the same temptations as he was bringing to Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, he's, he's got these things that he works over and over and over. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5, And the devil take him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms, plural, of the world, in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. He wasn't, he wasn't lying there. The enemy knows that if our needs are going to be met, they're going to have to come from a different kingdom. We are, we are designed to serve the one that meets our needs. And if a person doesn't know what these things I'm talking about of being in Christ and the inheritance we have, they're going to have to get things from a different source. Because he's, he's not lying here. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Adam and Eve turned it over to them. Adam and Eve had authority over everything on this earth. And they basically just handed it over to the enemy. His main Weapon is deception. That's basically all he has. For that is delivered into whomsoever I will, I give it. You see that in the earth now? He's controlling leaders. He's controlling people through sorcery. They don't know what they're doing. You cannot come out of his kingdom naturally. Your own wisdom, your own knowledge, your own ability, it, it cannot happen. He's running things through deception, through sorcery. He's sending out curses to these leaders. And our president and administration and, and laws that are unjust, it's not them. It's, they cannot get out of it. Only through the gospel, only through the power of God can these people change. And he's only going to turn over these, this glory that he has, the finances that he has, to people that are going to do what he wants them to do. And then, and some of the most miserable people are those these Christians that don't know who what they have in Christ. And so they're working the world system that's run by Satan. And that's why somebody will come to Pastor Roberta and says, how can your church not take a dive? How can it increase during this? 
Because in the natural, you, there's some things that the enemy throws at you that you can't in our natural strength. That's impossible. In verse 7, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. He's trying to tempt him, just like, just like he tempted Eve with, with all this stuff that he promised. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall thy serve. Thank you, Lord. And that's what we're choosing to do. Amen? We're choosing to believe who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what we can do through Christ. We have his ability. We have everything that pertains to life and godliness. It comes through renewing the mind. I would strongly encourage us reading through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians because it's loaded with revelation of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. It's, just, it's loaded. And then we were just resolve to be a doer and to believe it. And we need one another. We need, we need the gifts. Every one of us is given a gift according to the measure of the grace of Christ. You read that in Ephesians as well. So I'm excited um, about what the Lord is doing in our midst. And with Pastor Roberta, um, I can tell the anointing is increasing on her. Remember that one Sunday when she talked about the laying out of hands and she had people come up, whatever it was they needed, whether it's healing or... and. And I came up and just said, you know, I just want you to bless me. And when she laid her hands on me, I felt something. And Dennis said that he went home and for like a half hour, he could tell the presence of God was on him. So God is moving and she has a heart to see the kingdom of God manifest. And she has a heart for these teachings of being rooted and grounded in Christ. And we're going to continue with it. And, and we're not going to let the deception and the sorcery of the enemies and the discouragement and all the distractions, um, like Jeff was talking about, you know, with being on that ship and being sick. And, he was, and when he had his eyes focused on the right thing, things were good. And he tries to, the enemy tries to stir things up. But he can't win if we don't quit. He can't. It's going to come to pass what the Lord wants to do in our lives individually and what He wants to do corporately, what He wants to do in Marshalltown, what He wants to do in central Iowa. It will come to pass if we believe it and we obey what He says to do. We come in unity. Uh, so when Pastor Roberta has a vision, you know, Lord told me this is what we're going to do, uh, whether it's structurally, whether it's things that the Lord put on our heart to do, we're going to say, Amen. We're with you. We're with you. Because she's anointed. She's anointed of God to, for such a time as this. For such a time as this, she's anointed. We're, we're not here by accident. We're not. And we're going to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. Father, that encourages us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our teacher, for bringing revelation. We need you, Holy Spirit.
We put our dependence upon you for revelation to come forth. And Father, we thank you for fulfilling what you have planned for our lives individually, for this church, for this area. We call it forth. Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. As it is in heaven, Lord, let it be here in our midst. And Father, we pray a blessing over Pastor Roberta. We pray, Father, for her and Rochelle, Lord, for protection over them, for, Lord, that you'd orchestrate everything that they do and for angels to be ministering for them. We pray for Pastor Roberta, Lord, uh, just to be refreshed, to come back with excitement, with boldness. And Father, let her know that she is loved by us and we are for her, Lord, and we're in agreement with her. Thank you for the wisdom that you're giving her. Thank you for good health that she'll live long and strong. And, and we just give you praise for what you're doing in our midst, for the people that are being drawn to this congregation, Father. And we thank you for the anointing that's within us and it's upon us. And we're going to grow, Father, in understanding of who we are in Christ and what we can do through Christ. We're going to choose to be obedient to you, Lord, and what you tell us to do. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.